Hey guys, if you can think about how you found this podcast, maybe it's on Instagram or TikTok, maybe someone shared it with you. I don't run ads for the show or have sponsorships, so the only way this grows is through word of mouth. If this was valuable for you in any way, my only ask is if you could share this with someone who you think would help their investing journey or business. Thanks a lot, and let's get to the episode. Welcome back to STR Best. I'm your host, Michael Chang. Super excited to have this conversation today with my very good friend, Syed Latif. Syed, welcome to the show. I'm very excited to be on the show. Actually, today on my Google Photos, it gave me like one of those playback memories. And I think this is the anniversary of when we first met, maybe four or five years ago in New York. So it's just like <laughs> fitting right now to have this podcast with you. That's, I'm really excited about this conversation. So Syed and I have known each other for a long time, like since 20. We're trying to figure out 2018, 2019, and we went through COVID together. We helped each other a lot along the way, which is what we're going to, the main topic we're going to talk about today is how those chance meetings can lead to big changes in your life and just be open to meeting people, providing value with no expectation for return, just because be someone that's a good person. And if you're a good person, like you'll find stuff to work on together. So that's going to be the main topic today. But before I start, right. said, can you please uh, give the audience a quick introduction of yeah. your business? Before I even introduce myself, I just want to say, I always tell Michael, we have a million dollar connection or a million dollar relationship because I would say that from the relationship we've made, what we have learned together, what opportunities came to us, I have made a million dollars from meeting Michael. I'll get into it later in, in this podcast, but he was the one that brought me this one opportunity that I think I got value of more than a million dollars from that value. It was regarding the state Alfred bankruptcy. And he gave me the idea of potentially offering a significantly low dollar amount because I had nothing to lose for this 120, 150 apartments worth of furniture. And then that's my benefit that I received from my relationship from Michael. There's a lot more since then as well, since I've been getting in my personal brand, but I would even say on his end, the connection that he made for me and some of the things that I connected him, people I connected him with, he has made a significant amount of money. That million dollar, I don't know what it is, but I would say it's a million dollar connection. At one conference a couple years ago, it was in Chicago. Uh, I wanted to stunt my cars. I was riding in that Ferrari a little bit. What kind of car? Do you, yeah, what kind of car for the audience here? That, we're gonna, that, we're, we'll put a picture of it. Then it was back then. It was a Ferrari. It was in Chicago, my hometown, and these guys visited my hometown. And then everybody wanted to see the car, so I was like, "All right, cool. I'm gonna come to the convention conference with with the Ferrari." And then that's when I pulled up in the Ferrari, and I started calling all my friends outside by the valet. And then that's when Michael came, Hamza came, Derek came, and. We made a little friendship connection that day, and that I believe that has encouraged Michael to take new steps in his like career and his journey and his entrepreneurship uh, journey with what he's doing now from that group. But yeah, we'll yeah go no, we're that. gonna break the regular format today, so we're just gonna like riff on today. Yeah. So let's say I was saying we that was May twenty one, and no May twenty sorry May twenty twenty two. Excuse me. And I, we had just had a kid too. And I was really debating and went on to Chicago because I was like, eh, I know everyone there. There's what's the, there's no real, like, what am I going to really learn from there? And actually Liz says, no, you should go. Syed's out there. Syed's out there. You know, with some other people that we know, just like talk to them and see what people are doing. And we might have some ideas on the business. 
it'll be worth it. And I was like, all right, fine. So I go and he said, show me the cars, right? Because I always see his, he always talks about his cars. So wait, before, like how many cars you got now? Like, what? Just give the audience right. like my the Roly, like what do you got fleet. now? What's your fleet? I, got, I have the Lambo, Huracan. It's sexy. It's red. It's hot. And then <laughs> I have the Rolls Royce Wraith because I got to have the starlights like uh, for my contact makes me look like special. And then I have an Acura NSX. It's an orange one, a G-Wagon. Yeah, yeah. So I got some things. So the, the guys in their 40s, like I'm, I'm 43. And said, how old are you? 41? 36. 36. 41. All right. So got... How you going to do that to <laughs> The video's not that great today. All right. I'm kidding. But <laughs> guys our generation, the, the NSX was like one of the old school, like supercars. And that, that's a really, really neat car. I got to, next time I go to Chicago, you got to pick me up in the airport from that. I will. I'm going to hang out with that one. But uh, yeah, so we came out and then there's just two guys like Derek Zafar. I'm oh, sorry, Derek Chung and Hamza Zafar. I had met Hamza actually a long time ago. And he gives me shit because he called me about account, how to do his accounting. And when he was just only doing Philly, this is probably, I think it was during COVID or like kind of November during November, 2020. And I was like, I didn't know who this guy was. So I was like, all right, whatever yeah. call. And then we chatted and everything. And then I see him again and I was like, I don't know who this person was. And, but the fact that you knew him and you're like, no, this guy's, he's a good guy. He's real. His real business is okay. Like a lot of credibility. And I guess that's something I want to touch on too. It's like when you develop a good relationship with someone and then they say, Hey, you should meet someone. This is a good person. It's a good man, woman. It actually gives, it, it makes you like, listen, maybe listen a lot more to these people versus someone that you meet and you're like, oh, okay, whatever, be polite, but you don't have to, you don't know if they're real or not. What it, it, does that, how does that help to you in your journey? Yeah, let's actually, let's just dig into that. Yeah. Talk about when we first met, we met in, I think it was you know, September 2018 or 19, we'll figure it out. But how, why were you in New York during that time? So it was when I first started my business and I wanted to get my name out. I wanted to show that I'm doing something. I wanted to build a brand at that time. And that's when I was going to some conferences and some speaking engagements locally. And then I knew Mike from like the Facebook groups and like the bigger right, pockets. Who's Mike? Let, let, let. Yeah. From my understanding, he had, was part of this one VC back company back before. And then he was involved in New York type groups. I didn't follow his whole story completely, but he was having a whole bunch of groups and a lot of people coming in to talk. I was like, hey, it'll be cool to fly out to give a talk about my life and my business, my entrepreneurship journey. Uh, but he set up like a great event. It was like on a rooftop. Uh, like it was like perfect weather, 100, 150 people, 200 people came to that event. And I made some connections that I uh, that million dollar connection, you know, th at that event. And I would not have expected I would have made any connection. I met you, I met Liz, and it's been an awesome experience seeing your guys' journey and then also give going back and forth on ideas on what we got going on. Yeah. So for, for folks like Mike McKay, Michael McKay is a guy, kind of New York legend. He has brought a lot of people together, actually on a separate podcast I had maybe four or five episodes ago. So the person, Travis Hall, Mike McKay was his, it was his kind of accountability partner. So Mike and Mike has been such a, was such a huge resource for me and Liz. So Mike, if you're listening to this, shout out to Michael McKay, just, just all around good guy, always provides value, expects right. something in return, great reputation, like great, just a great mentor for a lot of people in the short-term rental space. So I just want to give a shout out to Mike. 
So then you met Liz. So actually you met Liz and then we got to, and then we got to start knowing, we got to know each other. And I remember one of our first, I remember one of our conversations, we had a couple of conversations pre COVID. I remember I was sitting on my porch and we were talking, I was thinking about co-hosting versus rental arbitrage. We had already had 20, 25 arbitrage units in, in New York, New Jersey. <laughs> and then I remember asking you, I was like, oh, I got these co-host deals. Do you have any co-host deals? Like what, what's your experience been? Do you remember that conversation? I don't remember that specific conversation, but I'm curious to know what I said and where that took you. <laughs> no, you're like, man, like you had this one owner that was just like a pain in the ass and it was just like always on you for every little thing. And then yeah. you're, and you're like, help me get started, but I don't want to do this because and I remember this line you said to me, it's like having two bosses, right? It's, you got to deal with the owner, you got to deal with the guests and with rental arbitrage, it was just a lot cleaner if you had the money and you had the wherewithal to do it. Then yeah. stick with rental arbitrage because it's a lot easier to scale. Yeah. So it was when I first left my job, I was working corporate America on finance and I started a property management company and I did some SEO work that got me like to the top spot on Google for Airbnb management company in Chicago. And so that ended up making me get a bunch of leads. And this one individual. I had maybe 10 units at the time, nothing too crazy. And this one individual came to me and said, they have 20 units in some great areas. They've been managing it, but they're getting older and they're having trouble. It was like a once in a lifetime opportunity. I was so excited. I'm like, man, I'm going to double my business now and triple my business now. I'd love to be able to take this deal on. So I was like pitching to them for a month, putting together proposals, analysis, showing I'm professional. And then finally they said yes to me. And then I went into the onboarding side of things and onboarding was like intense because they were like distressed type short-term rentals. She's been in the business for 10 years. Even she was like the first person in Chicago on Airbnb. Uh -huh. They were distressed apartments. She didn't care about them anymore, but she made a lot of money off of them and they appreciated a lot. So it's, it is what it is. So I came in, I put together all these proposals to fix X, Y, Z things. I brought in handymen. I brought in people to redecorate the units. I put a lot of work and a lot of time in to get these up and ready to go. And then finally, after I did get them ready to go, bookings started coming in, but it was almost like I was her assistant. She just was telling me, oh, this person wants to pay $25 for a garage fee. Can you go pick up the dollars? And I was like, wait, excuse me, I'm not your assistant. Anything we do, we got to put in a, a, like a system, a software, some way of charging people, but I'm not doing that. But the request started increasing. And then also because she wasn't financial savvy, she didn't understand my pricing methodology for my units. So she just kept on complaining about, Hey, you're not pricing, right? You're not doing this right. You're not doing that. But I started putting together analysis like, Hey, I'm performing better than what you did in previously. I'm a finance guy. I don't just like taking claims like that. You got to show me what data, but it was like, she still didn't believe it. It was like a weird person to like work with. And all of a sudden it was like three, four months in that I spent most of the time onboarding fixing up her place. Finally, we took it live one month in. She's like, Hey, this is not working out. We're going to take back the units. And that was like the most devastating blow. I was like, I can't believe I spent so much time yeah. with this crazy person. Our management styles didn't match. She consumed my day and night. She would call message me drunk and complaining about what I was doing. It was just a really weird relationship. And she gave me a lot of threats even after telling me, I know where you live and things like that. Like craziness, right? But then after that, it made me realize, hey, I don't want to be in this type of management type model. It's a handholding, working with another boss. It was not something that I wanted to do. Yeah. 
It, like definitely. <laughs> so I think folks here that hear about co-hosting or really just another word for property management, yeah. there's some of the drawbacks, right? There, there's definitely a lot of pros too, right? If you are starting on your journey, right. it's really, you know, generally low cost way to get started. You don't know, responsible for rent, the furnishings, right. utilities, you just get a percent of revenue, but there's a cost to that, right? Like you can do all this work and they can fire you. And if you're just starting out, you don't have the resources to go see someone that has 20 buildings, right? right. You've just all this sweat equity you put in there. If you're going to go that, <clears throat> if you're going to go down that route, excuse me, I think it's really behooves you to really know the partner that you're coming into that person that is your co-hosting for, they are really with you hand in glove. You have an understanding of how you're going to work together. Your styles match, you have the same view of the business, because if not, then you start running these issues and then four months in, you've done all this work to take it back from you. But look, it's a great way to start, right? It got you started, right? Sam? Like yeah, you, got, you went from 10 oh. to 30. You, what, what did you learn from that? What are some of the lessons that you gleaned from that? Besides not doing more co-hosts yeah. and deals and telling right. me not to do it. <laughs> yeah. So one, I learned that not every partnership is a good partnership. You want to work with the right partner. And, and that I, I realized that I want to work with high-level people, professionals that are not worried about the small things and understand business and understand the person on the other end needs to make money as well. And it needs to be a system. It needs to be organized. And somebody that's not looking at what's going on operationally on a daily basis and questioning every single thing, I, I need somebody way higher level that if I do short-term rentals, great. If I don't do short-term rentals, great. They don't care. I need to show them I could provide value. And that's with dollars, right? That's how I ended up realizing that type of business model wasn't for me. Yeah. But I, I'm going to pull something. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So, so go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to say, I don't know if like, we're going on in the podcast, but people don't know who I am because I cut you off in the beginning. I just want to let people know who I am and where I'm at with my business right now. I'm based out of the Midwest. I'm in a few markets, but majority of my units are in Chicago. I have 300 units. I have a rental arbitrage business. I've been doing this for about six, seven years now. And I've gone through some ups and downs from COVID, almost losing all my units to now ending up getting some awesome opportunities through bankruptcies. And now I'm at 300 units. So yeah, so let, let, yeah. Let's, let's talk to that journey. So right, thanks right. for, and we'll, we'll make sure we highlight this up front. Sad is one of the most successful rental arbitrage operators in the U S that's a fact, right? He's been doing it for six years. And I say this as someone that's seen a lot of operators, some good, some bad, some were good for a while and then came short. So. Just like anything else, like it just, if you want to be successful in business, you want to be successful in anything, consistency and longevity, right? The longer you play the game, the longer you stay alive, the more successful you will be. And I, it's funny, I had this, I had this managing director when I was an investment banker. I remember she said to me, I was, I just, first year of my career, she sat down with me and she was like, Michael, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you how, she, she's been doing it for years. She's keep your seat. I just make yourself valuable, keep your seat. And that's how you're going to be successful in investment banking and generally in life. And I was like, remember that it was like an off, maybe it was more of an offhand comment from her. So I've been doing this for six, six, seven years. I've been doing it since December, 2016. So gosh, like almost seven years now too. There are very few people like us that have done this for this long. A lot of people, unfortunately, bankrupt during COVID and a lot of people started during COVID and not who we see. They're very, they've been very successful, but they've been very successful in one cycle. 
Yeah. The trick we, is we've surviving. Seen lot, yeah. We've seen a lot the of colleagues drop off in our professional groups. We've seen Many. people that don't talk to us anymore because the they didn't make it through the cycle. We've gone, I would say we're on our second cycle, pre post COVID three cycles, maybe. So longevity in a business is very underrated. If the longer you're in business, the more props to somebody. The, the longer you're in business, the more you learn, the bigger your network, the, the deeper your market. And, and that's where Sayan and I share a commonality. He's mostly in Chicago or in Chicago, a few markets. I'm in few markets too. For me, it's Philadelphia for rental arbitrage and we buy and own in Tennessee. And, and that's purposeful. And I want to hit on that too. Like folks, like this is going to be one of, this is going to be a longer podcast, but I hope you guys stay because Sayan and I have known each other for a long time and we've actually been waiting to do this We've been waiting. I've been waiting to get him on the show for a long time. He's finally starting to build his personal brand. He's the first and only eight-figure host on Instagram, I believe. Yeah. And I don't know any other eight-figure host, but I know he actually is an eight-figure host. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna vow. I'm gonna blue check him on that <laughs> for that. I'm not. A, I'm a seven-figure. I'm, I'm happily a seven-figure host, and I'll, I'll talk about why I'm happily that way. He'll talk about why he's grown to that level, but. I just want before I just I want to just make sure I hit on that point because there was that first cycle Airbnb we're on the second cycle of Airbnb right now there was and, I, and Airbnb really started professionally 2015 ish it's a great run if you start in 15 fantastic run in 2020 right March 2020 if you people made, a lot of people made a lot of money and some people like they cashed out but a lot of people that were in bad positions in 2020 stay Alfred which is a VC backed business. Domeo, which is also VC-backed business, hundreds of million dollars in investment capital gone in three months because with the way they manage their business, they could not survive COVID, right? And that's not a criticism on them. That's just a fact, right? They did not survive COVID. And that's a lot of opportunities for people like me and Syed that we were able to... I, I bought a bunch of furniture for Stay Alfred. I didn't have the same view as Syed who bought... How many units you bought? I bought 10. I bought, I think I bought like 12 units of furniture. How much did you buy? I think 120 right? apartments. And then how many did you buy? And Domeo, how much did you buy? Another 50 apartments worth of furniture from Domeo. Right. And then how, how much did you pay? Percent of, uh, percent of, if we bought retail, how much did you pay? Two cents on the dollar. Two cents on the dollar, right? Yeah. You can make a lot of mistakes paying two cents on the dollar right. to, two cents on the dollar to, to furnish your units. And that post COVID opportunity unlocked. And it was obviously a huge COVID travel boom since then. And all of us have done really well then. But now we're hitting the back end of that cycle. And I guess, how do you think about that now? You're around 300 units. Yeah. You've obviously done well for yourself. How are you thinking about the next two years? Well, yeah, just taking it back a little bit. When COVID happened, uh, I was in a pretty bad position. I had 180 leases at the time. And uh, all of a sudden I was in March of 2020. And that's when my busy season starts. So right before that, in my markets, like it's bad seasonality, winter is terrible, I'm losing money, hand over fist. And also during that time, I was also scaling and growing as much as possible. Because at the same time, when winter is happening, the slow season for long term tenants is during that time. So it was an opportunity for me to scale. So I was losing money every month from my actual business, but I was taking on a lot of debt during that time with credit cards and lo private loans from family and friends. And I was adding like 60, 70, 80 units during a few months during the winter. And I was super excited for March spring break to come hit and busy season to start. My cash was low, debt was high, 
but I'm like, all right, I'm set. I'm ready to go. I'm going to make a million dollars profit this year. And all of a sudden COVID hit me with a brick wall. And all of a sudden Airbnb refunds all my guests. Flights are all canceled. And I have $5,000 to my name. And I had a $400,000 rent payment coming up in April 1. So I had, I thought I was done. It was nothing left. I couldn't do anything. How did you, how was the conversation with your wife? So everything was happening so fast and it was no point of stressing out my wife during that time. Okay. We had little kids. So it's not like me telling her like exactly what was going on would help anything. If anything, it'll probably make my situation at home worse. So it was almost like I had to keep everything to myself on yeah. how I was feeling, where I was at with my head, where we were at financially. At the end of the day, I had confidence in myself that, okay, if I am, if I lose everything from a business side, but I will be able to still go out and make money somehow, some way, whether it's using my hand and physical labor, I'll do it. If I had to drive an Uber to bring money in, I'll do it. That's not a problem for me. I'll never not have an opportunity to make money. But I don't, I didn't think at the time that bringing other people along in my stress would help the situation. Only entrepreneurs can take that stress on, in my opinion, only the successful entrepreneurs can take that stress on. Not, it's not for everybody to understand the situation that's going on. Yeah. No, that, that's, I work for my wife. She sees the reports too. <laughs> it's yeah, but you're okay. I think it's all about just really deep focus during times of stress. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, you have to be able to really focus on what is important that day. And even in crisis season, also just during your regular day, there's no one there to tell you what to do. There's no, when you're working nine to five, there's oh. You have someone there to tell you like, Hey, you need to do X, Y, and Z. When you're a entrepreneur, like you don't have to, like you can go and take a nap. <laughs> you right, can do yeah. whatever you want. The successful ones, even when they are successful, they still get up every day. They're consistent in their effort and they're able to really focus and move out and eliminate distractions or potential distractions. Okay. Right. You have five grand in your name. You have $400,000 coming up. Obviously you didn't have the money there in April 1st. What happened? So I started walking into all my landlord's offices and I went, I told them like, look, this is the situation. I'm in a very bad situation. I can give you three options and you can decide on what you want to do. And like the three options were, oh, let's get on a revenue share and let's see how COVID affects us. Number two was allow me to let go of my units and pick up my furniture and leave or take my furniture. If you want my furniture, you could have it. And number three, it was, I don't pay you and you could sue me for anything that I have and we could see what happens. So out of my 10 landlords, there was like three of them that said, let's go on a revenue share, which was majority mm -hmm. of my portfolio was like 90 units, oh, wow, okay. which sure. like kept me in business. And it was like the best relationship. And there hey, was like, so three... let me pause you there. What, what is revenue share? So at the time it was, if I made $10,000 on a unit, they would take 5,000. I would take another 5,000. Okay. So, so you're splitting, so you would split the, you would split the revenue by a percentage with the owner. Right. So that's revenue share for, for yeah. folks. Okay. So it's similar to a management type agreement in my original management type agreements. It was like an 80, 20 split, mm -hmm. but I didn't know exactly how much dollars were coming in, um, during COVID. So almost like a 50, 50 split at the time seemed reasonable uh, mm -hmm. to the landlord. They probably can gotten more out of me, but I think I negotiated awesome. Whatever I did, it got me an opportunity to even make some money during that 2020 COVID year. Basically I made the argument to them. I just need to be able to make enough money to pay my employees 
and you put food on my table. And I think a 50-50 split is reasonable and we could adjust accordingly. And we did adjust accordingly. Like as demand started increasing during that 2020 summer, it wasn't that bad for a few reasons. One, supply decreased by 50%. People went bankrupt. My ADRs were not that bad during the summer. So I ended up giving a lot more than 50%. But it was like a dynamic scale during that time. It was just basically keep my business alive and I'll give you as much money as possible to those landlords. So that was like three of those landlords. Three of them were like, just pick up your stuff and leave or Mm -hmm. leave your stuff and leave. And then there was three of them that were like, we're not COVID charity. We're not going to give you a break. You sign the lease. If you're not going to pay, we're going to sue you until we get everything out of you. There was other threats, like pretty bad threats like they were giving me like, did they um, sue you? One guy, sorry, what? Did they sue you? No, Did they sue because you? No. no, they didn't sue me. I, it was a lot of threats and lawyers involved, but it's just a start of a conversation and I'm ready to do business, negotiate a deal. There was settlement payments that I did and I was able to get out of those as well. They didn't want to sue me. Nobody wants to sue anybody. They just want to be able to make some money, feel good about themselves and move on. I found a middle ground that was acceptable to them. And they took the money and we parted ways. So uh, now all of a sudden now I have from 180 units to 90 units, but they're now on revenue share management type agreement. And now I don't have no big obligation. So there's like risk to it, right? The management type model, there's a lot less risk, but a lot less money you make. But in the rental arbitrage model, you make way more money, but the risk is way high. So how do you think about that? Are you near death experience? Yeah. You, you, but you were nimble, you negotiate some good deals that allow you to keep your business alive. And I think there's for us that we're able to uh, just to share with us too, we, and this is <laughs> how we survived COVID was we looked at our portfolio very dispassionately, right? We had done all the work to do it and we're like, all right, what's worth keeping and what's not right. So the ones that weren't worth keeping, we're like, all right, we need to get out of this. And how do we get out of it? So we, we actually still went to the landlord and said, Hey, this is what we can do. We can pay. We gave him some options too. This is what we can do. Let us know, but we want to make sure that we keep the relationship. We don't want you to feel like we're something bad happened. We're just, we're going to run away from you. And we actually did that. We're like, some of them were like, just go pay us the next two months and then call it a day. Some are like, okay, just help us get a long-term tenant in there at close to the rent. If you're pretty close to what you've been paying us, don't worry about it. We'll let it go. We'll keep your security deposit, let it go. So we were just able to work with it. We worked it all out. And what actually was really great was, and you know, this is a little lesson on, on paying it forward is, or, or, or just keeping a good reputation was, we still relied on those landlords later on to be our references when we were growing a business, right? They're like, oh, you've done this before. And then they were still able to pick up the phone and speak well of us because we had ended it in the right way. So folks right. out there that like, it's not this, maybe not this specific situation, but end things in the right way, be a good person, be transparent, work with people. You, you'll find most people are reasonable as long as you're not trying to screw them, right? Like they understand mm-hmm. COVID, bad situation, everyone's struggling. You're trying to do your best. And I think when people sense that, they will give you the benefit of the doubt and help you along in your way. So <clears throat> with that, your 90 units revenue share, right? And so how are you at 300 units today in rental arbitrage? Weren't you like, man, like I think a lot of people would have, would have said, I'm gonna just keep I'm gonna keep doing revenue share because I don't wanna go through that same experience again. But you were different. How did kind of walk us through your thought process there? Uh one. I'm, my hand was forced to get back into a lease. These landlords are not going to do revenue share. They don't want to take on the risk of Airbnb. They only want to 
do their current business model and what's normal to them. And which is the least amount, they just want to get paid. They don't want any issues. They don't want to deal with the seasonality. The landlords forced my hand. And after a year's time during the pandemic, after mm -hmm. uh, the next year, February, I think it was, where they started having conversations with me like, hey, we need to get back into uh, a standard lease with you and you pay the dollar amount. If you cannot, then you just take your stuff and leave. Okay. Uh, so that's, they forced my hand. Uh, but what they did was they took me out of my slow season where I was just sharing the revenue of like low dollar amounts. So I didn't have those losses during that slow season. And all of a sudden they asked for their full rent payment when my busy season was starting again in 2021. And 2021 was a record year for me from a net profit perspective because of the timing of how everything was happening, the amount of units I was having, the demand that came back after the mass mandates reduced to help me scale during that time was that opportunity that I mentioned to you regarding the stay Alfred and Domeo furniture, where I bought so much furniture on pennies on the dollar. But the catch was I had to get that furniture out of the apartments in seven different cities. And I had to figure out a warehousing and logistic company overnight. I had to figure out how I could get trucks, movers, warehousing. How'd you do that? Yeah. Cause so, so, so this is where, <laughs> so this, this is where I said, and I kind of the fork in the road for us, right? For me was I bought all of stay office furniture in Philadelphia, right? We were there and that was like, I was like, Hey, all I want is that. And I obviously I knew there was other furniture there. And that's where I think when we, when we talked about the million dollar meeting, actually, before we get there, I want to reward the folks that stay 30 minutes said, how much money did you make in 2021 net profit? You can give it, you can give, you can give a ballpark yeah. figure. Yeah, so 2021, I had like 1.6 million, 1.5 million dollar net income. There um, you go. That year. Yeah, so that, that, it was that on, buy some Yeah, it was like maybe on seven point something million dollars worth of revenue, but it was again because they had revenue shared during that slow season, or yeah. else that net profit would have been way lower because my losses during the winter wasn't that bad. So then, hey man, uh, but I didn't, I didn't realize that with my forecast the next year, I thought I was going to do way better than in 2022 than 2021 because even though my ref pars per unit increase you, 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 you got to pause what's yeah. rev par and why is that important yeah so revenue per available room so re r for folks that are rev revenue par yeah. per available room and that is the metric that everyone should be judging themselves on in short-term rentals right because it's yes. not revenue it's not ADR, which is the rate that you're charging, or it's occupancy, it's rev par, because that measures how efficient you are in squeezing revenue per available night in your inventory, right? If you can, just for example, you can charge a million dollars and have, sorry, you can charge, you have hundred percent occupancy, but charge a hundred dollars a night, right? That your occupancy looks great, but your rev par is a hundred but maybe you should be charging $200 a night. So it's the play between your rate and your occupancy. If you can get that right, you maximize your FR, that's when you are an A plus short-term rental operator. So sorry to interrupt there. I just want to, yeah. I always want to explain the concepts. Yeah. Okay. So I guess, yeah. So before we leave that point, how did you, so how did it mess you up in 2022? So in 2022, I had again, a record year in terms of revenue but my profit decreased from the previous year because of that revenue share I had in the first quarter of 2021. Mm. Don't get me wrong. I had a great year in 2022. Um, I it was starting first time making million dollar revenue months in the summer, <laughs> $500,000 profit per month in the summer in some of the months. Beautiful. But 
if you account for the winter months, it ended up bringing down my net income from like that $1.5 million to it was like a million dollar net income in 2022. But I'll tell you, my summer was the best summer I ever had in 2022. Yeah. Also, my November and December was the worst November and December I ever had. What had happened was in my markets, because of the mass mandates leaving, pent up demand, people wanting to get out of the house, low supply in my markets. It was like a perfect storm of amazing ADR during the summertime. But then there was like a, a fatigue of traveling. Everyone did their traveling. Then nobody wanted to do travel. And it was winter time and no, and probably some variant or uh, some came out during that time. And all of a sudden, uh, people did not want to travel. So I had the best summer of my life than the worst winter of my life. Uh, I had maybe like $1.2 million of cash reserves. And all of a sudden, November, $350,000 loss. December, $300,000 loss. January, three hundred fifty. dollars February, $350,000. All of a sudden, I'm $1.4, $1.5 million worth of losses in, in five months of the winter, which ate into all my cash reserves from the previous year. Yeah. And I started putting things on credit cards. I started going to deferring my rents for five days so I could get extra money. I started not paying my utilities just so I could get out of this low season and seasonality. So like my confidence level was like high to like low because I kept bleeding every single month. So now it's how, yeah, it's just crazy. How do you, how not- do you deal? How do you deal with? It? And that's where that, there. That's the philosophical. That, that's one of the philosophical differences you and I have. Yeah. And I can't. I don't like that. I, I don't like that seasonality. Yeah. And where it's so high, so low, you really gotta like really manage your cash. And you also had to pray that your summer, your high season doesn't get messed up. Like some people in Florida, it's their high season season. You get a hurricane that comes, like it can impact you. How do you mentally, obviously there's financial ways to deal with it, but how do you mentally deal with that? Actually, like you as an entrepreneur swing from million and a half of cash to like, you know, deferring rent for five days to try to catch that first few days to to get your cash up. How do you mentally prepare for that? So the mental comes from understanding like the math of it, right? So yeah. as long as you could forecast things and you are tracking to your forecast and making sure like the variance is understandable, like up and down from what you think it's going to hit, then you can mentally understand, okay, you might be okay if you just wait a little bit or if you use this cash for that. And then as an entrepreneur, you always have levers in your head, like opportunities that like, hey, if this happens, okay, I might sell XYZ asset of mine whether it's the cars or whether it's some real estate or you start thinking about, Hey, where could I get some private funding? Or when do I have to bring another conversation to the landlord? I always think of like levers in my head of worst comes to worst. What can I do? But mentally, uh, yeah, it is taxing. Your confidence levels go highs and lows. And you could even see it in my face when I go to these conferences. If you t- catch me in the summertime, I feel Drake and I have all uh, the cars and money and let's go party. Let's go to Maple and Ash, get it, uh, valet in front and everything. But then when I start bleeding, I start staying home and not doing much. And it, it takes a toll on you mentally, but it's the thing that I go through every year. And I'll tell you, I'm not used to it. Like I'm never, ever used to it. It's not like, oh, it's again, it's just, it's real stressful. But I would say as an entrepreneur, I, the reason why I'm successful today and how much money I have today is because I could handle that stress so far until I yeah. break. I can handle it better than other people. I can handle having hundred people in my company. I can handle the lawsuits and problems that come in. 
I can handle the 5,000 guests I have on a monthly basis. It's just something that I don't know if I was born with or it's just what I am. And my level of stress being able to take this on is more than any more than others, not anybody else, but because there's people that can do more than me. It's like our friend Hamza, his level of risk is significantly higher than mine because I've seen a lot of stuff that has almost taken me out of my business. I get scared now and you could see it in my actions or my growth or my plateauing. I would say like a Hamza is like new money. He's on his fast track up within the last two years is when he started. His growth is like a hockey stick. But let's see, as time goes on, you don't want to get caught in the wrong cycle where you lose everything. I want to put in some hedges against. That's why I'm a little more passive than him, but might be more risky than others. So it's just like a mindset thing. Yeah, and there's time, there's time, there's a time and place for all that. Yeah. I think a lot of it's informed by age, right? When you're younger in your career, you have more risk. You just have more runway. When you're 36, when you're 43 and you have four kids, I have two kids, you, you think about life in a very different way. And it's not right or wrong. No one has a crystal ball. Like my crystal ball is no better than yours. It's no better than anyone else's, right? Like we all rely on the data. And it's, I think for folks that have listened to, for, to me for a while, it's very, very finance oriented, very, very numbers oriented. It's how I research markets, properties. If I and I, we've been able to keep this conversation alive for six, seven years. We look at the world the same way. So this is doing great. The next question is, okay, then like, tell me your metrics, right? Like great doesn't mean anything, right? Like I want yeah. what's your rev part, what's your revenue, what's your occupancy, like all that stuff. How are you thinking about payback? How are you thinking about risk? All those things are like when you, if you want to be really good in this game, want to really good, be really good in the short-term rental game, if you want to be good in anything, right? Like you have to spend the time and understand the numbers behind it and what's driving performance, because that ultimately will give you confidence to lose a million and a half dollars for four months because you can see that you're training the right way and you hit March, April, May, June, your high season. And that's when you're going to be making all your money. And look, there's a lot of different ways to be successful, I think. And I think that's the great part of our short-term rentals, right? Like we, like I can do my way that I found success. You've done your way. You found success. Others have done their ways. There's no short-term rental degree. We, no one has a master's degree in short-term rentals. Like we all come from it from our different experiences and, and, and are able to build this business. And I'm really being, having a second row seat. It's really impressive. But I, I want to talk about, so we want to talk about two cents on a dollar, right? Yeah. You, and how you've been able to scale from that. And I'll tell you like the stay off of furniture was great. It was... I think we probably paid, I think we paid like 10 cents on a dollar. High quality furniture, we still use it. It was, it was probably like 15K per unit of value. We paid you know, like all in probably like a thousand bucks maybe. And then plus the ship, plus the, all the labor. It probably came out like 10 cents. But we moved it from there, where they were sitting into units directly. We didn't store any of that stuff. Tell us, I'm actually just curious. Like, how'd you get, how'd you, get all that stuff into how do you get all that stuff into storage in chicago yeah okay so for one when i brought it up to you i'm like man i have no use for this furniture i wouldn't even take it for free what the heck am i going to do with it yeah it's like a huge cost for me to figure out what i do with it but you're like just give it any dollar amount i'm like all right i'm gonna give like a 200 dollars, 250 dollar offer and after putting in a random email offer saying 250 per unit for 20 units, I guess at the time, 
Yeah. Like three, four, five months later is when he started responding to me and saying, okay, you have a deal. <laughs> if you're still interested, here's a bill of sale. Yeah. And then for me, it's, we got a handful of months through the pandemic and business was not that bad. My landlord was liking this revenue share agreement at the time because he was hurting on uh, tenants to come into his building. And it was almost like a perfect storm. Perfect. I'm like, Hey, I won't, I'm not going to be committed to rents. I'm going to get this huge upfront cost of furniture. Let me put this furniture into his units yeah. and without anything have to worry about. So I accepted that $250 worth of per unit, but that's just to buy the furniture. Now all of a sudden I have furniture in Ohio, Minnesota, Atlanta, <laughs> Dallas. I don't even know where else. Actually now I regret not buying more because there was like 150 uh, units in Nashville that I wish I was the guy who yeah. bought it, but yeah. I didn't have the capacity at that time to even know if I was going to be able to do anything with it. But anyways, so then basically I said, one, I need people to help me move it. Number two is I need trucks. And number three, I need warehousing. Literally, I started going on Facebook groups for professional movers nice. and I started making posts. I'm looking for movers to help me. And there's a huge network of movers, some interesting type people, like sometimes not the best people, but I get it because it's like hard labor type work. Yeah. And basically, I told one of my resources out of here, fly out to that location, drive out. I'll get you some movers, figure it out for me and let's bring that furniture back. So then I had to figure out like, Hey, where am I going to get trucks from? So I started Googling like how to a broker a truck to get from one location to another. And at the time it was Uber freight. They came out with the business model. I don't know where it's at right now. I haven't used them in the last years, but basically just requesting a Uber car, you could request the Uber freight truck <laughs> and they show up. Yeah. They show up to your location and with the truck and you just have to load it and they gave the rate for that. And I had a lot of leeway to play with, right? Because of, I was getting it at two cents yeah, and a dollar. So, you know? yeah, so, um, so it's okay. Even if I got it to a thousand dollars all in cost per unit, uh, I'm still good. So I'm like, all right, just send these people there, send my people here, order these trucks. I started talking to my landlords that I was currently doing business with. Hey, do you have any idea of where I could put this furniture? Can I rent some warehouse space? And uh, people like, like the go-getter type mentality yeah. like other entrepreneurs like when somebody finds an opportunity and gets a deal they want to get in on that mix and be around that yeah. energy he started brainstorming with me one of my landlords started brainstorming with me is i'm acquiring this one warehouse space that is under foreclosure i think this could be a perfect fit for you to move some of your furniture there for some time so i'm like okay great and that is like a handshake deal i don't even have to worry about like long-term leases and like yeah. uh, anything right it was just like a perfect opportunity don't get me wrong. There was like headaches doing a handshake deal don't, because he started changing the dollar amount I should pay him in the middle because <laughs> he started seeing how much I was bringing in. And then I started making deals like in, in Dallas when I was picking up furniture from an apartment. And they, they, I asked them, first of all, I bought it assuming that it was in the apartments. Then after I bought it, I realized that the landlord already moved it out of the apartments into a central location. So I'm like, yeah. okay, they just save me on labor costs. That's great. Yeah. I, yeah. And then all of a sudden I was like, listen, it's already in a, an abandoned storefront. It was like a downtown Dallas. It was like in a CVS that they CVS left. So they just put the furniture in there. I was like, listen, I'll pay you 
I just know, read that rent. CBS. Just leave <laughs> until I figure it out until I can figure out where I need to do with yeah, it. Smart. Um, and then they delayed like three, four, five months to get me a lease over. And I was like, actually, no, I don't need it anymore. <laughs> you know, I, I'll take that furniture. <laughs> so it was like small little wins here and there, small little yeah. opportunities. I had like three, four warehouses. I had to actually get another warehouse that I actually negotiated month to month on it, but I ended up taking it for way too long, more than I should have. Like I like two years in where I'm like, wait, this is like all the leftover junk that I have from Stay Alfred. I need to just trash this and move on. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, I was hustling and I was figuring out like Googling how I could get it, where I could figure it out. And I had a lot of leeway to play with, but it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And that's why I was like buying as much as possible. And also seeing that opportunity that landlords wanted me to be in their apartments on a revenue share. So it was like a perfect match, match made in heaven. I'm, I'm glad that I would, you know, small little part in your journey and congrats to you on one, staying alive when things were bleak and two, having the intestinal fortitude to continue to play the game because I think part of it is just like having confidence in yourself. Like I'm going to figure it out. Like you said, I'm going to figure it out. If I'm going to drive an Uber. I remember that thought in my head too. Like I just quit investment banking and I quit my, quit all this stuff. Have my degree and all, all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah. and then COVID happened. It was like, I, and I went to that list in my head where I was like, all right, who do I contact if I need a job? If I can't get a job and like Uber was definitely, Uber and Lyft were definitely on the list. But right, right. in the end, like you got kids and you got family, you're going to do what you got to do. Like for me, it's, I'm, I'm the f husband, father, the family, the man of the house, right? Like just that's responsibility, right? Like not being like a misogynistic, just, it's just responsibility. It's our job to make sure the family is, is taken care of. And if you got to go and drive an Uber and then you got to go drive an Uber, you got to do what you got to do. Luckily, none of us have, we were able to pivot our businesses. And just back to the point about the million dollar meetings, right? None of this would happen if you didn't come to that meeting with Mike McKay. It wouldn't happen if Liz didn't show up to that meetup as well. And then we all met and kept in touch, keeping in touch with people and providing value when there was no business relationship. It's just like, oh, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? These are my problems. Remember, we would have those conversations like, these are my problems. <laughs> what do I do? What do you think? And then right. those are always like really fun brainstorming sessions. And back into the meeting that we had in, in Chicago two years ago, that has, that helped me to see the power of social media, see the power of personal branding, seeing, wanting to tell my story, right? I didn't think I was that interesting to tell, to be honest, and hearing other people and what they've done, the business opportunities that's unlocked, but more of like just showing the world your work, right? One when you're an entrepreneur, it's like lonely, right? There's no one really to talk to, but actually just showing the world, Hey, this is what I've done, right? This is my business. This is like my life's work. I've created this out of nothing. It wasn't always, it wasn't a straight line up. There were a lot of peaks and valleys in that way. And I've gone to this place and I've been really proud to share that in social media on podcasts, what Liz and I have built together. And I know you're starting that journey now too. So one, I thank you for validating that with the meeting in your Ferrari in front of the, what was it? The, the Hilton, right? In, yeah. In Mary Chicago, Hilton, yeah, something. the Hilton. And it's been really helpful for me to develop this public persona and being able to share the journey with others, the students that I've been able to, to, to work with, the people that I've met, the opportunities that this is unlocked for me. So I really appreciate, I really appreciate that. Shout out to, to Hamza and Derek if they right. listen to this. They were instrumental in my journey as well. And I just remember people that helped me along the way.
And as you embark on the journey now, you've launched a public, public branding, your story. Talk, talk, tell us like why you've obviously seen other people do this. Like why, like, why did you start this? Yeah. So one thing I feel like I'm late to the game because it was right after that meeting that we had in Chicago is where you launched your personal brand. Derek launched his personal brand and I got to visually see that the results that Hamza was getting with this personal brand, it was replicatable and it was something that it was almost like anybody that was starting that journey was seeing similar or as good as results. So I saw your guys blow up in the personal branding, social media world. And it was that day where I saw you guys take the step and I still was hesitant too because why did you, you hesitate? Yeah. You're not, it's not like yeah. you didn't have the money. Yeah. You're obviously a super smart guy. Like what? And I'm gonna and I'm asking that because I think a lot of people have that hesitation with starting something new, right? right. Whether in a job, they want to start another a side hustle, a business, buying real estate, whatever, getting on a weight loss plan, working out, whatever it is. Like there is that like inertia that prevents you from taking that step. Like what? And you're obviously not a, like a risk adverse person. Like what? Yeah. Per, what kind of stopped you at that point? Yeah. It was a time thing. I didn't want to, I didn't know if it was worth my hourly rate to do something like this because okay. I only saw results from one person and I didn't know that it was almost like there's a huge market available in this personal branding space. And number two is I was making money. I didn't need it. I was making good money in my current business. I thought I figured out the best formula because of my whole revenue share, uh, bankruptcy furniture. I, I put my head down and I was working on my business and scaling and making an eight figure in a year business, making a million dollars profit in a, in a year. And I was having fun with my cars and all that stuff. One, I didn't need it. And then number two, it's okay. Also, is it a good idea to be out there with what you're doing? Because then yep. eyes come on you and it could yep. be in different ways can affect you and your journey. I didn't want it to affect my current business, either landlords getting upset with my success or regulations or cities seeing, okay, hey, this guy is doing a lot. Let's make, a, let's make something out of him so he could mm -hmm. be in, in the papers. And then also another thing is that people say evil eye. When yeah. people around you start seeing your success, they don't always wish the best on you and it could affect you. So it was like a lot that went on, on in my mind about it. Also, it's I wasn't used to having a phone in my hand recording me and hearing my voice. It was very weird at first. I'm not part of that generation where TikTok and Instagram is normal where you're talking and recording every single thing that you're doing. All those things made me not do it. But then I saw your success. I saw Derek's success. I saw Hamza's success. And then I started noticing a lot more people on Instagram regarding like the performance. Then I started seeing cash flows of my business going up and down. And I was like, hey, it would be nice to have a supplemental income to what I'm doing. And just back up just in case. You yeah. know, it, it, look, it's good. And then it's like having different businesses, different markets, right? The different volatility that if you have the same business, you have this, it shares the same kind of volatility pattern. But if you have... For me, Philadelphia has a different rhythm than Tennessee. So that helps, right? But it's not all the way there because there's still short-term rentals, right? There's still real estate. It's still the same thing. But if you have another business like social media where you're helping people, educating them on what you're doing and how you can help them, it's a different, it's a different angle. And I think for me personally, it was, it was building a different, I love building businesses, building a different 
building our business. And I wanted to get your take on it too. But I also just want, want I think I wanted to share my work. Right? I think one's, I was like, proud, like I saw other people was like, oh, I'm proud of what I'm doing. I want to, sh- I want to show people what I'm doing. And two was, I saw the way that other people were teaching it. And some were taught it great. And they're like, okay, I agree with this. Not the way that I would do it, but like I see and it makes sense. But I saw a lot of other people doing it in a way that like I just, I fundamentally disagreed with how they approach underwriting, how they operate their business. And I was like, this is just not the way that I would do it. Not right or wrong. It's just, I disagreed with that. I was like, I think I want to show the world like what I'm doing and teach people the way that I've learned how to do it through my banking career, through my MBA, through my experience and let the market decide. Like maybe they like my way. And, and that's why I've been, we share this journey with others and the people that it's not for everyone, right? The way that I teach it is very numbers oriented. If you're not analytical, you're going to struggle. So right. if you're analytical, this is going to really help you. If you're numbers oriented, if you're organized, this will help you. How are you thinking about as you're developing your program? Or tell us about your program. You're developing your program. What is, what is the ideal? Who is going to maximize value working with you or learning from, learning from you? Right. So. In my opinion, I think everybody has a market. Like you're targeting a different group of people that Hamza or Derek are targeting. You're targeting more professionals that can relate to your journey and they'll have been in high level corporate type jobs. And they're like, okay, I trust him. And he took the step and I'm not being fulfilled by my current career. Maybe I should take the step as well. And again, you're analytical. You come from that MA background you might be you might attract a different type of people versus i see a lot of the younger guys they're using that flashy lifestyle type marketing to attract other people that want that as well and you might not get the best quality students and you might deal with other drama associated with those students that hey you're not telling me the right things you're a scam i'm not successful like you so you're not doing it right Versus your approach, you're going to make sure that everything you know, you're going to want to teach these individuals to do. Yeah. And, and in my mind is I have a little bit of both. I could do a little bit of that flashiness because that's what that's real. That's how I had my life before my personal brand. And but I also have the operational mindset, the scale mindset. I have the finance understanding and. I have a personality that can teach people because I have made like friends and colleagues and other people start this business as well. I feel like I have a approach that I bring a lot of credibility to the table because I've been in the business for some time and I have scaled to a point that I'm making $10 million plus in a year. I feel like I have a niche within myself as well. And I have, I didn't realize the power of a personal brand as I started posting and getting a lot of messages in my DMs. Like I'm almost building my own network international. I have people that I hear their stories out of Dubai and Pakistan and Europe. And it's like, whoa, like these people would never even talk to me before. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's crazy. No, we went to Bali in February and then we met up with people there that had heard the story and they're in Bali. They're like, hey, let's meet up. I was in Venice in summer and then met a couple guys there. It's And we were in Milan. Someone stopped me in the middle of the street because they're like, oh, we've seen your content. It's crazy. And I think that I think I'm glad you brought that up. It's just like another way of building your personal and view these as assets, actually, right? Like this is, this is an asset to me, right? Like my social, my, my rental arbitrage business is the same. My real estate is the same. 
and then your network is probably your most valuable asset. It's how you get ideas. It's how you share. It's how you problem solve, right? There's no, you, you can't Google your way out of some of these problems. Like, right. I have to call you and you have to call me and ask, Hey, what do we do here? What do you think? And I think that network of people, and which is why like this is being recorded mid or September what, 5th right now. Derek and I, and oh, not Derek, and I, we're going to see each other in Austin and Dallas for a conference. And then we're going to see Austin, we're going to see Hamza's portfolio in, in Dallas <laughs> and, and see his empire down there. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see you in a couple of days. Yeah. I really enjoyed this conversation. Two questions before I let you go. Sure. The first is business is a team sport and it's my traditional closing question. What's one of the kindest things that someone has done for you along this journey that has really helped you along? Yeah, I appreciate the group that we have. It's you, Hamza, Norman, Derek, not too much. Derek is talking too much lately. He's disappeared, but, and Jose and RJ, I look forward to these conferences to meet up with you guys and talk to you. And a lot of these guys are like motivating, like Hamza makes me want to run through a wall. He gets me in my competitive <laughs> state. If he says. I added 10 units. I'm like, all right, I got to figure out how to add some units now. If he bought a Lamborghini, I'm going to buy a Lamborghini. I have this thing and it's good and bad, but also you give me like that level set and stability that like, okay, you know, like you don't have to go hit that grand slam every single time too. So it's just like a good balance. And I really enjoy our little group that we have. And yeah, I'm too, looking man. forward to meeting with you guys and talking a little crap to each other. It's fun. <laughs> it's, it's good energy, good vibes. I look forward to these conferences to meet up with you guys. And uh, I think it's good always. It's always, I'm looking forward to, and it's just, when you're an entrepreneur, you can't get lonely sometimes, you know, and then I think it's really important to develop a group of people that you respect that are along the same path as you. And that, that journey is just a lot better with people that you like and care about and can commiserate with, have dinner with, share share, share a podcast with. So, you know, excited to see you as well for folks that want to contact you and learn more about your journey. What's the best, where's the best place to find you? So I'm very active on Instagram. So do follow me on Instagram at Syed BNB. So it's at S Y E D B N B. And you see my stories and posting. I don't have a product yet that I'm selling or anything yet, but for now, you could network with me and see where I'm at, what I'm doing on a daily basis, the problems I'm dealing with. I'm posting a lot over there. Trying to yeah, that's following. It will be in the show. I'm going to post a link to Sad's Instagram in the show notes. So definitely click on it, follow him, watch stories. I watch his stories every single day, actually. I enjoy watching the stories. Mm -hmm. I learn from it. And I've been doing this for a long time. So if you're interested in short-term rentals, you want to get a real perspective for someone who's been through the trenches. It's not going to give you a bunch of fluff. It's going to show you the real and the bad, right? Just like anything else, right? It's There's high points, there's low points. When you can understand all that, it'll give you um, a much better grounding if you want to pursue a business like this. And please feel, please definitely reach out to him. And excited, one of the, thank you again. This is probably the longest pod episode yeah. we've done. But it, for me, it's probably one Honestly, of the most enjoyable. I really enjoyed it. We could have probably kept going going. There's like too much to talk about. It's always good to talk to you and catch up with you. I'm looking forward to see you in a, a next week and all. Yeah, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you. I'm gonna have you back again. We're gonna have you back again. We'll talk about where we're at in another six nine months and uh, share with the share with the audience. Thank you again for spending time with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.